All right, good evening, everybody. We are going to be in Exodus. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19 and 20. This Sunday after second service at 2 o'clock out at Mazingo, we'll have our last baptism for the year. So uh, if you want to be baptized and uh, you haven't so far, um, this is your last chance before we have to break ice to do it. That's a funny joke that I say every time winter comes. It's just not funny anymore, is it? But um, And we've yet to do it because I'm kind of chicken. But we have one is all we have, um, which is great. Um, but if there's more that want to be baptized, just meet us out there at 2 o'clock at Mazingo Beach. We won't start until 2, but we will start at 2. Okay, so uh, try to get out there as fast as you can um, so that you can join us and support them and encourage this uh, these new believers. So that'll be coming up uh, this Sunday. I have, I put that out there about the Young Eagles um, on Facebook and all, and if you've got a kid between the ages of 7 and 17 that want to go up in an airplane, um, the Young Eagles is a program that we're doing here, or not we, they're doing here in uh, Maryville, where we meet out there on October, or September 28th. That's a Monday night at 6 p.m. 5:45 would be better. Let's make sure we're we're there and ready. And they'll take a kid up and do a quick flyover and go over Mazingo and come back. And they actually get to take the stick while they're up there uh, with the pilot. Um, so if you're interested, that's free. Let me know. I have. Um, I don't know if the Rybolt still didn't want to do it or not. I've got them down anyway. But I've only I only have five now, or six now that are on board, maybe my kids, they're still going back and forth. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And am I going to get sick? And I, I don't know. The, I, I, was, I was assured by Phil, the dentist. He's one of the guys, Phil, the dentist, that we are not doing acrobats up, acrobatics up there or anything. I said, oh, man, because I don't want them throwing up in our planes and stuff. So the idea is to give you just a beautiful little ride up and ride down and encourage you to, or the youth to, Maybe think about getting their license. Now, I don't know what the age is. I think it's like I'm super young that you can like solo in a plane like 10. You can solo. I know. I know. I, can you imagine? I was looking at Bo. I thought it was eight. And I looked at Bo and I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm letting him go up in a, oh, oh there goes Bo. It's a crazy pilots, you know. We want to get your kids interested in, you know. So maybe you might want to think about these guys. I don't know. All jokes aside, wonderful program. This gives you the, the whole spiel, um, what they're going to do and everything. You have to fill out one of these that says, you know, you're not going to hold them responsible <laughs> for I don't know what, <laughs> in case they fall out or something while they're up there. I don't know. Um, I know. Hey, I'm an honest guy, you know. I'm an honest guy. You wanna, want me to show you a house? I'll show you a house. And let them know that's, that's a bad thing in that house, and that's a bad thing. You may not want me to sell your house, but I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you everything wrong with that house, I promise. Anyway, grab one of these if you signed up, or you want, we got to have these filled out or they can't go up. So if you've already decided you want them to do that, um, grab one of these. I'm just going to leave them up here. I want to keep a hold of them. I don't want to set them out. Um, don't take one if you're not going to do it. Um, I only have a few of these. Um, if you're sure, go ahead and grab it, fill it out, and then I need it back. Um, probably Sunday or whenever, and, and we'll let them know. Okay, that's it. Into the Word. Chapter 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out... Oh, I didn't pray. Lord, thank you for letting us get together. 
uh, open your word, uh, dive into it, and allowing ourselves to be, um, well, taught by your Holy Spirit, by your word. And so that's our heart, that we would draw near to you now, and that uh, you would draw near to us, and you would teach us, not just, we don't want to just be here, we don't want to attend, Um, we want to be changed. And so that's our heart tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. He's letting them know for the first time what their, what their role is. And I don't know if you saw all that or read all that or understood all that, but he says, I want the whole world, but I need a kingdom of priests. They understood that. That's logic they get. We don't use that so much, but they understood that. The priest was the guy in the white robe over there, whether you were you know, worshiping Jupiter or whatever you were worshiping back then. You always knew who the priests of that God were. They were very special. They were set apart. They were honored. They were revered. Um, they were very special, and everybody knew that about these folks. Um, and so when God lays this out for them, as they've grown up in Egypt— for 400 years as slaves, seeing all the different priests for all the different temples, because there were a whole bunch of them, they understood what that meant. I want the whole world, and I want you, the whole group of you, to be my priests to this world. I want you to be my ambassadors to this world. I want you to um, speak for me to them, and that they might come unto me through you guys. I want to use you, is the idea. Um. So he lets him know for the first time. He meets him on this mountain. It's called the Mountain of God. It's Mount Sinai, a beautiful place. It's made of solid granite, we know. Um, it isn't a volcano uh, as we get into some of the fire and stuff that's going to be happening here in a, in a few minutes. It's not a volcano at all. It's not even made that way. It's, it's, some people try to uh, discount the miracle of the fire and the smoke and everything that was going on as, oh, it's just a, a volcano, and this is just typical Aborigines worshiping, you know, a natural, you know, thing. No, it, it, it wasn't. It's made of granite. It's not made of the material that um, volcanoes are made of. So it's not that. God finds a place to meet them. Um, here's what I take away from this, and I, I, I didn't get it until I was just singing now and, and worshiping, and, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about singing songs to God is it gets our minds where they need to be and our hearts where they need to be, but... Just, it just showed me that God's in a hurry to be in contact with these people. I, I, he's excited. I, I've taken care of your enemies. I've, I've brought you through the Red Sea. We've gone through some interesting things. I've, I've led you by a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. Now get over here to my mountain. And he comes down, but he's going to put so many restrictions on them because they shouldn't be in his presence. He's a holy God, and they're an unholy people because of our sin. And for him to come too close to them could endanger their lives if they draw near to him without 
without the right things happening, without the right safeguards put into place. And so I got to thinking while we were singing, what's the hurry? Why not just continue to speak from the fiery pillar or from the smoke or, or what's the hurry with coming down? He just, that he's showing his love for them is all that's happening here. I, I'm so excited. God's excited about this people. They're mine. They're, I'm theirs, and, and I want to meet them, and I want to talk to them, but I can't get too close to them because, I'll. well, I am who I am. I'm pretty fiery. I have a consuming fire for sin, and they're kind of full of sin, so it's dangerous for me, but I still want to be as close to them as I possibly can. And I think that's God's struggle and heart, if God can struggle, for the entire world. I want to get as close to them as possible, but until they know Jesus, until they have the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, I can't get too close. The Holy Spirit doesn't indwell an unbeliever, can't. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, comes alongside of us to convict us of our need for our Savior. And once the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus and baptizes us into Jesus, then Jesus in turn once we're saved, baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, and the true and living God dwells in us. It's an amazing thing. He says, I'm going to tabernacle among you. He considers this his tent, and he dwells in us. It's an amazing thing. That's how close to us he wants to get. And this is a beautiful picture of the Lord in the Old Testament saying, how close can I get? I choose the whole earth, but you have to choose to come close to me. Without a doubt, God makes it clear, I love all of you. Now, whether you love me back or not is completely up to you. It's a decision you have to make. He's going to actually call them to consecration, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But God makes himself available to to the entire world, wants these folks to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, just like he does in the New Testament in Revelation. He calls us as the church kings and priests, So this isn't some abstract thing that we don't need to really think about or understand. This is explaining to us how God sees us as the church in the New Testament. He says in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John, the writer there, getting a revelation from Jesus, of Jesus, describes that that's who God wants us to be now. Just like he wants the nation of Israel to be a a kingdom of priests to the world so they might all come to him, he wants us to do the same thing. I don't see myself that way, but we need to. All of us need to consider ourselves priests to God. I don't think of myself as a priest. You kind of think of the white robe where you think of some kind of special garment or maybe the collar that you see, you know, the black and white, whatever. I'm not that guy. I'm not... You are, as far as God's concerned. I am, as far as God's concerned. I'm a priest that walks around special and above. Not better than, don't misunderstand me, but given a position of authority to where I can lead people to the Lord. Nobody else can do that. There's another group of people on the earth that can lead people to Jesus, but Christians. That's it. Worldly people can't do it. They're not qualified. They don't know what they're talking about. Only Christians can do that. I'm the priest. I'm the one. The duty falls upon me. The responsibility is mine. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, he reiterates it. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain 
and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Sometimes I think we're waiting for heaven before we actually take on those roles and those responsibilities. But God hasn't called us to that. That's why he calls us ambassadors here on earth. No, no, no. Um, Your salvation, your heavenly residency has already happened with Christ. If Christ was raised, you were raised with him. We're just not there, but we're still the citizens that we will be there now. We're, We're just in a foreign land, in a foreign country. And we were talking about that at your house today. It's feeling more and more foreign every day. I'm feeling a little more distant from the, from the normal in this world or what the world calls normal. I just This place is just not my home. I can tell. People don't think the way I think. They don't see things. They can't understand their comprehension of, of the spiritual and of the things happening around them geopolitically. It's just, it's just not there. Sometimes I wonder, how do I even start the conversation with this person? We're so far away from each other, I don't even know what to say. And then we got the other half of the Christians that are just marginal and kind of lukewarm, and they're saying, why can't we all just get along? Because God doesn't get along with evil. God doesn't compromise. God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't turn the other cheek in that sense. Like, I just don't want to see it. Just you do your thing and I'll do my thing. God's not about that at all. He confronts sin. He stands for righteousness. And as ambassadors of his kingdom, as kings and priests, as we just read in two different verses, we're called to that too. I'm not called to sit back and just not argue for argument's sake. You know, I don't don't want to have an argument. I just don't want to have an argument. No, I'm going to have an argument with you about it because you're wrong. I can categorically say you're absolutely wrong about your worldview if it's not a Christian worldview. I know for a fact, and I can prove it. So let's start talking about it because I want people to know Jesus because if I just don't argue and I let everybody just drift off to hell which is what we're saying as Christians. Let's just let everybody drift away to hell. Let's just, I don't like to hear all that. Oh, grow up. Mature. Mature. That's a child's response. Just stop fighting. Just stop fighting. No, mom and dad are working some things out. Mom and dad need to talk. Maybe not like that, but they need to talk. And there is a tone that you can use and all that, but let's figure things out. As Christians, we need to be mature and be able to articulate and understand. <laughs> we have an example in Jesus Christ of what it looks like to argue, of what it looks like to call people. On what? Who told you, brood of vipers, to come out here and repent? Of course, they weren't. They were just spying on them and checking out their liberty. You know, I had no interest in what Jesus had to offer, but he called them on it. Well, we don't need to result to name-calling. Jesus did. You brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. You're a bunch of snakes. Now, let me back up a little bit. Great. Facebook's going to explode after Calvary Chapel gets out tonight. You guys are all a bunch of snakes. No, that's not what I'm getting at. I am saying stand up for righteousness in this day and age. Don't cower. Don't keep your mouth shut. Quit telling other Christians to be quiet. That's a bad thing. This is the last time at this point in our 
world and what's going on with it to be quiet. It's not time to be quiet as Christians. It's time to shout Jesus from the rooftops. It's time to scream him from the mountaintops and to tell them that they need Jesus because there's not much time left. We are kings and priests, and we need to conduct ourselves accordingly. Verse 7. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded them. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people people to the Lord. I'm here to conceal myself with a cloud, but I will speak loudly so they can hear me talking to you. Now, they're not going to like that later on. But he's, he's saying he doesn't have to do that. He could be in a bush over here talking to Moses. He can whisper to him and it says, no, I want them to know that I'm talking to you. I want them to know that, I, that I'm with you. Um, it reminds me a little bit about Jesus' baptism. Behold my son, in whom I'm well pleased. You know, Hear him. Hear him. And that's the idea behind this. Um, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're going to do whatever he tells us to do. Well, we kind of know the story here, that they don't. That they don't. It's the right answer, though. We just know that they're not going to follow through on it. Likewise for us, I want to be the guy that yells as loud as I can. I'm going to do all that God wants me to do. I'm going to do all that he wants me to do. But then I have to go do it. Just making that declaration sounds neat. And people take notice. In fact, God wrote it down. As a Christian who said they're going to, they're going to go all the way. Then go all the way, you know, go all the way. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so, in other words, as the day of Jesus gets closer and closer, we ought to be hanging out more and more, not less and less. And so you can see why Satan would want us to hang out Less and less, since that's exactly what God told us not to do in the last days. Hang out more and more. Um, kind of a fiery night tonight, I guess. I, I don't mean to, but I have, um, when it says, I'm going to do all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, that's exciting to me. Um, but I see so many people after that statement fade away. I've been in ministry for a while. And uh, people come up after church and say, oh, I really appreciate that. Just what a great message. It really, God really spoke to me. I promise I'm going to be back tomorrow, next week. Well, why are you promising me? I don't care if you're back next week. I mean, I do. I hope you're here. But what is that? What is that? And I can guarantee you they don't come back next week. Nine times out of ten, they don't. There's something in them that says, I, I want to make sure you know that I'm really, really going to come back. Well, don't tell me about that. Just, just come. And, and I don't care anyway. And I want to be careful I say that. I care. Um, I have a hard time trying to convince people to love Jesus like I do. I shouldn't have to talk people into that. That bothers me. You really need to love Jesus more. I, I shouldn't have to say that. Sometimes 
I get the impression from people that showing up at church or coming to worship is something, it's, it's like an invitation you get to an event and you just feel obligated, you need to come, I got to show up or, or they're going to notice me not there. That should never be what church is. We should never feel that obligation. Oh, God, is that thing tonight? Oh, oh, I guess I'll get ready. I'll go take a shower real quick and put this on and show up. Mm-hmm. And you smile and you nod. Man, don't come to church. Do not come to church that way. Nobody, even God, does not want you coming to church if it's an obligation that you feel you need to fulfill. Don't come. Stay home. Do whatever it is that's on your heart that's more important or better. Go do that. But the last thing he wants is for us to sit here much longer. Look, if you don't want to do that, don't come. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of every day of my life. He's worthy of every thought. He's worthy of every word that comes out of my mouth. He's worthy. Now, I don't have him on my mind 24-7. I have other things going on in my life. He isn't the only thing that comes off my lips. But you know what? If I spent my whole life doing that, it would be time well spent. He's worthy. God is worthy of our worship. And that's a lot of that's a thing that a lot of Christians I don't know and we've been discussing carnal Christians versus spiritual Christians. A lot of carnal Christians haven't got to that place where they actually worship him. Where they sing songs to him because they can't help but sing songs to him. They don't you know uh, read his word because they can't wait to hear what he has to say. A lot of it's duty. I have to have my quiet time. Someone's going to ask me, and I better let them know that I've read, you know. Mm -mm. No. You wouldn't do that to your best friend. You wouldn't do that to your wife or your husband or to your kids. I mean, if you love them in any way, shape, or form, you wouldn't treat the, oh, oh, Bo, he probably wants to play. Or Mariah wants to go do this. Or or my wife will probably want to talk this morning. You know. Well, My goodness. Anyway, we shouldn't have to talk ourselves into having to worship God. If that's the case, there's such a much bigger problem going on there in their lives and in our lives. Huge. And going to church is not going to change that. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 10, go to the people and concentrate, or I'm sorry, consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. In other words, take some time and prepare. You've got three days to do it before God shows up on the mountain. Take three days, three days to prepare yourself for this event, you know, three days, consecrate. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or to touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. They're trying to think of a way. How do we, we got to, you're going to die, but we can't like lay hands on you. So we got to like shoot you with an arrow, throw rocks at you. So whatever you do, don't touch the mountain. This is what I was talking about. He's putting all these safeguards in. I'm going to come down, but 
Well, don't get too close. And if you do get too close, we'll kill them. You got to kill them. I don't know what this is about, but all I can say, but your first thought is maybe don't come down. I mean, if it's that dangerous for us, just stay up there where we can't get hurt kind of thing. No, no, I want to get close. Okay. But all it takes for me to get close is your obedience. And we can be as close as, as we can. It just takes your obedience. In other words, you can come all the way up to that edge. You just don't touch that edge, and I'll come all the way here. And this is how close we can get to each other. Just be obedient and do what I ask you to do. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Because, well, I don't know why. In other words, I just want you focused on him. There are some ceremonial washings we're going to read later on about that, having intercourse or whatever, and we don't want to get into that tonight, but um, there's some washing that needs to take place and some time away from the Lord that needs to happen and some cleanliness that needs to go on there. And so that's part of it. But more importantly, I just want you to focus on me for three days. Um, I don't want you to, to think about anything else other than that. Now, two words he said here in this section. One was to consecrate yourselves, and the second was, I'm going to sanctify you, which are they're very similar terms. But let me read you what consecrate means. To consecrate yourself is to answer God's call to spiritual consecration. This means making a conscious, willing decision to dedicate your soul, mind, heart, and body to God. This decision must be one of will, intelligence, and affection. Only you can make the decision to consecrate yourself to God. I mean, what a great definition, right? It is a decision. I, Billy Graham's magazine, I always wondered why he called it that. It was a perfect name for it, Decision Magazine. He always says, I'm going to tell you all about the gospel, but that's, his, that's all I can do. It's your decision as to whether you consecrate yourself to the Lord. Let me read it again. I love it. To consecrate yourself is to answer God's call to spiritual consecration, setting yourself apart for this. This means making a conscious, willing decision to dedicate your soul, your mind, your heart, and body to God. Uh, this part's amazing. This decision must be one of will, your choice, intelligence, you understand what you're doing, and affection. It's an affection that you have for God. It's not a, well, I've got to get fire insurance so I don't go to hell. There's no affection there. It's a horrible way to come to the Lord. Only you can make the decision to consecrate yourself to God. And so God says, Moses says to the people, consecrate yourselves. They have to do that. It's got to be them. They can't be carried. They can't be walked. They can't be spoon-fed. No one's going to give them a sponge bath. You need to do it. And that's what worship is. I need to open up the Bible and read it. And if I don't understand what it says, it's up to me to figure out what it says, to research it, to look it up, to study. It might be hard. But I'm going to do it because I want to know. I don't want to be lazy. I want to study to show myself approved. I want to research it. I want to cross-reference. I'm not leaving this till I get it kind of thing. I want to lay hold of the things of the Lord. 
consecrate. I want to live my life that way. I want to think that way. When I walk up, wake up in the morning, I'm going to look at my wife and I'm going to say, I'm a priest and I'm going to walk out the door. I'm a priest of the most high God. I'm off to represent him in this world. Pray for me, you know. Jenny might think I'm a little weird, but maybe I need to do that once in a while. Maybe I need to put that on my mirror. You're a priest today. Don't forget that. You represent God. Be a priest. Consecrate yourself. Now, sanctification is very similar. Sanctify yourself. That's to set yourself apart. I know that I'm called. I'm accepting the calling of God, and I'm going to separate myself from the rest of the world and everything they're doing to make sure that I have that as my first priority no matter what I'm doing. That can always trump what I'm doing at this time. It can always override my plans, my schedule, my thoughts, everything. If someone comes before me and needs to hear about the, the Lord, that's my primary job. I'm sanctified, set apart for him. And my body is not to be used for anything else. As we go through the uh, temple and the tabernacle and so on in a minute, these utensils and things that are going to be used for the worship of God are not to be used for anything other than that job, that role, that special purpose. There's a lot of spoons in the nation of Israel. But some of them are set apart for one purpose, and that's to only be used in the temple, to be only be used in the tabernacle at different times and seasons in, in the nation of Israel. Just that. We don't take that and do things for God and then go over here and stir our stew. It's meant for one purpose. Maybe that helps us to understand that. God's called us to that. You're sanctified for the purposes of God. I'm not called to be doing this, that, or the other thing, mixing my stew over here, and mixing my whatever over here. I'm meant to be set apart and only used. Now, maybe you don't get used that often. That's okay. But when God needs that spoon, when he needs you, sanctified and set apart, it's there. I always admire those guys with pegboards in their garage. Maybe you're one of those people that has a pegboard in your garage, and you have the little outline of the exact tool that's supposed to be on that pegboard. Makes me sick when I see those things. Because I'm like the guy who puts them in the drawer, and if I can't find it, I go buy another one kind of thing, because I don't know where it is. It's in one of these bins someplace. But some of you are pretty organized, and if the hammer is not on the chalk hammer, you don't go to bed that night till you find out where the kids left that hammer, out in the grass or whatever, you know. I've found hammers mowing, you know. There's got to be 12 hammers in our yard out there. I, it's not a good idea. You really need to. I really need to get more organized. But it's nice when you walk up to your pegboard and it's full and every tool's in its spot and you can go and just grab it right when you need it and put it back right when you're done. That's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to be sanctified tools in God's hands, available and ready when he needs us. It's not about my agenda today. It's about me sitting still on that pegboard waiting for his hand to come grab me and use me. Ready, able. Then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning, verse 16, that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick clouds on the mountains, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who, uh, who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. When the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. 
Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Now he's the only one that can right now. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Get up here, Moses. God talk to you. What is it? Tell the people not to get so close. They're going to try to sneak through. They're going to look. Make sure they don't do that. And Moses is going to argue with God. Not a good way to start. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain of Mount of Sinai, uh, for you warned us, saying, set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. What an innocent, beautiful thing to say. No, 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 I already told him not to. Oh, Moses, you got a lot to learn about these folks, man. God can see all the way into the future. He's like, no, 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 I already told him they're not supposed to get in trouble. Look what God says. He goes, the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. He knew their hearts. They're just rebellious by nature. Don't come near the mountain. Or what? It's like telling that toddler, don't touch this. It's hot. How, how hot is it? You know? It's hot. Don't stick that in that socket. Don't do that. What will happen if I do? You'll die. Really? They... It's just, it's in us. And God knows it. Moses, what a beautiful, innocent thing. Oh, no, God, we already told them not to do that. Go away and tell them and then come back. So he did. So he's up there and he's going to give them the Ten Commandments now. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God. Introductions. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Very first commandment. First four commandments are about us and God and our relationship with him. I don't want you to have other gods before me. What he means before me is not first, second, and third. What he means is I don't want any of my presence. It's just me. I don't want secondary gods or third gods or anything. I don't want any gods in your life other than me. I'm the primary and only. None. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And here's why. To worship. He doesn't care about artists carving eagles with chainsaws and all that stuff. That's not what he's getting at. Some people take it this way. No, he makes it very clear. I don't want you to carve an image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. I don't want you worshiping creatures or created things or making things out of them because you will. Because you will. I know you. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. I'm, I'm very serious about my relationship with you is what he's saying. I'm very jealous. Oh, I, I just, I hate it when my husband gets jealous. Don't. It's a good thing. It's a godly attribute when your husband gets jealous. He loves you. He loves you. Or if your wife gets jealous, why are you looking at her? Well, I wasn't really looking. I mean, just like 12 girls. I, I, and you, you can't get out of that. You just, just look at the ground. That's because she loves you. She's jealous for you. I visit the iniquity. I pay attention to sin. 
I don't, I don't overlook it. It's not a, it's not a slight, it's not, it's not something that I, I can get past. But I also show mercy to the thousands who love me, and that's the difference. I want you to love me like I love you. I want you to keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about that. I think it's like you use his name as a curse word or something like that. I, I would advise against that for sure. I think that's included. I take it a little more serious though. I think it's taking the name of the Lord your God in vain is um, when a bride gets married, she takes on the husband's last name. Normally, we used to anyway. Um, and that's to symbolize what it looks like to be in Christ. You've, you've hidden yourself in Christ. I, my identity is gone. My identity is now in you. And that's, it's not meant to make the woman feel like she's nothing or less. It's, it's a picture. It's a symbol to show that I've hidden myself in you. I've taken the last name. I've, I've rejected my last name or who I was, and I've become now this. That's the idea behind it. And I think that's what he's getting at more than anything. Don't take the Lord's name when you become the bride of Christ, when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, in vain. You represent now. I carry his last name. I carry his name wherever I go. I'm a king and a priest. I'm his bride. Don't take it in vain. He says he's not going to hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you, he says at one point. I thought you did. Mm-mm. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We can go on and on about that. It doesn't matter which Sabbath it is. As Christians, we could go into Corinthians and read all these cross-references. Take, take a day off. We're the funniest group of people. Just, would you rest today? What do you mean by rest? Just rest. Define rest. Shouldn't have to define rest. Just kick your feet up and relax today. Don't do any work like you normally would. Define work. Oh, my goodness. Would you just relax? God is trying to give us a day off. Just look, it took me six days to make everything. You ought to be able to do your little piddly jobs in six days and be able to take a day off like I did. Now, that's a paraphrase. That's not exactly what he was getting at, but that's my take on it. It's okay. Take a day off. Here's what happens when you don't. God doesn't send you to hell. Understand that. We, as Christians, we're forgiven from all of our sins, but you don't get a day off. And nobody else around you does either. I think that's why he adds all these other names to it. When you don't sit still, when you don't relax, when you don't take the day off, you make everybody nervous around you. The sons don't feel like they can relax. The daughters don't feel like they can relax. The male servants feel like they should be doing something. The female servants feel like they should be doing something. The cattle, well, they were going to get a day off, but now you've got them running up and down the field. The stranger within your gates feels like he's being lazy because he's not doing it. It's hard. You ever try to take a nap and everybody around you is working? You feel guilty about it. 
I should be doing something. Everybody else is doing something. Just know. So if everybody's forced by God to take a day off, then maybe everybody else can too, you know? I just encourage you to take the day. Take the break God gives you. I want you to rest. I want you to take the break. I, I just now that that could be anything. I, I we were I told you we were reading Laura Ingalls Wilder to our kids, and they man they made their kids sit on the edge of the bed all day long. I don't think that's what he meant at all. What a torture that would be for a kid, you know? Horrible. No, you just don't have to do the stuff you normally do. This work. Go do what you want to. Go relax. Go fish. Go go hunt. Go walk. Go ride a bike. Go bowling or I don't or, or or don't do anything, you know? Just sit on your couch and eat ice cream all day long or something, you know? I don't mean to it, 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 for God, he, he Jesus tells us that Sabbath God or man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. In other words, the whole point of the Sabbath is to literally give people a break. It's not the other way around. It's not a rule to see if and then make people to keep it. I think people get that confused too. That's the whole sitting on the side of the bed thing. No, no, no. I didn't mean for you to torture your kids and make them sit there all day long. I meant for you to have a break and have a day off. And it's it's holy. When you take the break, it reminds me that you know that I took a break. And you're thinking about my creation and how I took a break. And then you want to be like me. You're emulating me. There's a lot going on here. It's holy to the Lord. Take it. Take that day off. First century church started worshiping on Sundays instead of Saturdays. Saturday had always been the seventh day and is the seventh day. And so they would take that day off. But after the Jesus rose on the seventh or the first day of the week on Sunday, they started worshiping then and taking their day off then. It's not about the day, which take Monday off, take Tuesday off, take Wednesday off. Believe me, Sunday is not my day off as a pastor at all, you know. But Monday is kind of nice. You know, try to not do as much or whatever. Take that day. Now, those are the first four. Those are the ones focused on God. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And there's, there's a lot there. Um, honor your father and mother. Honor them. Respect them. Even when they're not worthy of it, maybe. Do it for God. I'm honoring and respecting my parents because, because God wants me to. And that's, a, that's honoring your father in heaven by honoring your mother and father because God has told you to do that. And there's something attached to that. That's the only one that has a promise to extend your days. Something about it. And it's not just listening to their advice because they'll keep you alive, although that's true. Um, there's more going on here. And although I don't know the depths of it, and you could probably spend a whole Bible study doing that, one verse or that one law or commandment, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to trust that it's true. It's going to be long days. Um, it's going to have its benefits. Verse 13, you shall not murder. That doesn't say you shall not kill. It says you shall not murder. That's to take the life of the innocent. God later on is going to institute the death penalty. In fact, he already does. If he does, if you touch the mountain, shoot him with an arrow. I thought you just said, thou shalt not kill. Nope, thou shalt not murder. The guilty? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's his idea. In fact, without the death penalty, we wouldn't be saved. Jesus died on the cross 
for our sins. He incurred the death penalty for us because we were guilty and we incurred the death penalty upon ourselves, but he took that death instead of us. And so it's by the death penalty that we actually get saved. For those that are trying to get rid of the death penalty, they don't understand the Bible. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. These are all things against people. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder the innocent. You shall not commit adultery. Don't cheat. It's funny how the world changes it to, uh, they had an affair. No, they committed adultery. It's not an affair. That's a nice word. Let's keep it ugly. You committed adultery. Call it what it is. You shall not steal. Don't take other people's stuff. It's not yours. Be content with what God's given you. And if you don't have enough, go make some money and go get it. But don't take other people's stuff. Don't steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie against them. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, along with adultery. Nor is male servant, nor is female servant, nor is ox, nor is corvette, nor is donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You can add a lot of stuff in there. I'm to be content with what God's given me. I don't need to be worried about what he's given other people. That comparison is, is not godly. Don't do that. That's the last of those verses. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he sums it up by dividing the Ten Commandments into two separate commandments. The first four, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And you can see how it does. Neither one of those two commandments is in the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Jesus' two highest commandments aren't in the Ten Commandments. They sum up, but they're not in it. Nowhere have we read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not a commandment. Because you're supposed to have no other gods. You're supposed to not make any carved images. You're not supposed to take his name in vain. You're supposed to remember the Sabbath, but nowhere does it say you're supposed to love him. Likewise, love your neighbor as yourself is in no way in verses 12 through 17. We get too hung up on this stuff sometimes. These Ten Commandments are given. These are already truths that people have known. Abraham knew this. The father of our faith knew all this stuff. It's wrong to kill people that are innocent. Cain learned that. I mean, we've known this for a long time. So why are we writing it down? It's, it's our rap sheet is what it is. This is our conviction. I have done every single one of these in some way, shape, or form, Jesus magnifies these very commandments later on. He says, you don't have to commit adultery like physically. You just have to look at a woman with lust, and you've already committed adultery in your heart. Guilty. Oh, whoa. You don't have to murder somebody, physically strangle them to death. But if you've hated them in your heart without a cause, you've committed murder in your home. Oh. The whole point is you're guilty. We're guilty. These things are written down so that they might know that they're guilty. In fact, when he gets these written down later on on the, on the, on the stone tablets, he carries them down. They're committing all of these at the same time, and he hasn't even showed it to them yet. God wrote these, and he smashes these commandments while they're doing all these sins. The point of this is to show us that we're guilty and that we're separated from God from the very get-go. It's a tutor to bring us to the 
saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 18, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They were scared. And they said to Moses, you speak with us. We'll hear you, or we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. It's terrifying to hear his voice. Now Moses doesn't get that. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for the for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. That'll sum up a lot of people's lives right there. I don't want to get that close. Why don't you get close? And you tell me what he says, and that's as close as I want to get. And Moses just doesn't compute with him. Why do you not want to go near God? He wants to be near you because he's scary. I'm terrified of him. You see the, 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 the words he used? Do not fear. God's come so that you may fear him. Wait a minute. What? You know? Two different kinds of fear. I don't want you to be fearful like guilt, danger, torment. That's the first fear. But I do want you to have the fear of the Lord, which is honor, respect, reverence. You know? My kids fear me. They don't, they're not afraid dad's going to come home and beat them. It's not that kind of fear. But they know when I'm not happy and they fear that. They don't want to be disappointing to me. They don't want that fellowship to be broken. That's the good, healthy fear that God wants us to have. It's a love. I'm terrified of Jenny being upset with me. I don't want her mad. She doesn't get mad. And if she gets mad, man, if I must have done something horrible, you know, kind of thing, or did do something horrible, that's a fear. I'm not afraid of Jenny. She's like 100 pounds soaking wet, you know. Take her easy. I'm terrified of broken fellowship with her. I don't want that. That's the idea. Moses doesn't get it. Don't be afraid, he says. You can come near. It's loud, and he's loud, I know, and it's big and smoky, but come on, everybody. For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, and most will, guys. Most people will stand afar off from God. But we don't need to be like that. Moses drew near the thick darkness. I have zero fear of God, that first fear. If he comes back tonight, tomorrow, or whenever, or while I'm still speaking, I'm running to meet him. I'm not hiding. I'm not scared at all. I'm excited. I'm going to look him right in the eye because I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he sees. You know? I... I'm not terrified of him at all. Now I have a healthy fear of him, though, at the same time, a respect, an honor, a reverence. I'll fall on my face before him. I'll worship him. But I'm not afraid. I'm looking forward to him coming home to take us. I'm so excited for that. A lot of the world isn't. They're just not sure they want to see him come back. Oh, man, come back. Oh, Lord, quick, quick. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, 
gods of silver, gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. Don't make those things. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. He's going to talk about that later. In every place where I record my name or I make my name famous, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, in other words, that's okay. Maybe there's not enough dirt. You shall not build it of hewn stone. Don't be carving on it. For if you use your tool on it, you've profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that, make, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. There's some rules he throws out. Steps. Well, they got ephods back then. You know, Later on, he's going to have to tell them to wear a holy underwear kind of thing. They got to put some garments on because people could see up their dress and stuff. And so they got to... I don't want you to make a bunch of steps. Don't make it a big deal. In other words, don't make it pomp and, you know, here we go. Step one, step two. I don't want that. I want you to make my altar out of dirt. Because you can't beat my building materials out there. You can make it out of stone if you want to. Maybe there's not enough dirt around or whatever. But you can out. But don't carve it into some fancy image. Just pile a bunch of rocks together. Because some of the most beautiful sights any of us have ever seen, I guarantee it, is when you're walking through a national park. If you've ever been to a national park or even anywhere, and you see and you come across and it's sunrise or something, like, whoa. Now, no one's done anything to it. No one's carved anything, but you can't beat that. And then you see us try to do landscaping at home, right? Oh, my goodness. I gotta, that plant's too close, and we got to plant it. We do a, and even when you're done, it looks synthetic. You look at it, and you're like, yep, every three feet, every 27 inches, whatever it is that we did. You know, just, we can't make it look natural. And God says, just leave it. I, I know what I'm doing. Leave my worship natural. Simple. Don't complicate it. Don't make it an edifice to you or to what you've done or to your artistic ability. I don't want it to be about you. It should never be about that. It should be about us. You worshiping me and me ministering to you and blessing you. Wherever we go, you're going to build this dirt altar or whatever, a rock altar or whatever. And I'm going to bless you and you're going to offer up sacrifices and we're going to have this relationship wherever we go. We're going to keep it super simple though. Super simple. I like that. Sometimes I think we got carried away as people, didn't we, when we look at cathedrals and things like that. And I understand their heart. I don't want to fault them for it. I mean, they love God, and they just want to give him their best. And I understand that, but we kind of miss something, I think, when we do that stuff. Be careful. The altar of my life needs to be very simple. I offer sacrifices of praise now. Um, everywhere I go, Every soil that my feet touches is holy soil, and I need to remember that. Wherever you go, it is. It's holy ground. It's consecrated to the Lord. It's set apart for him. And as I build in my life these things, I want to keep it simple and beautiful and natural with the Lord, and I think he wants that for all of us. He doesn't want a complicated relationship. You know, I noticed that on Facebook. That's one of your relationship choices. It's complicated. Not with God. Not with God. It's super simple and easy. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you as you tried to explain to the nation of Israel what you wanted from them and what you were going to do for them. And you continue to do that. You're very patient with them. We thank you for your patience with us. You want to keep it simple. Forgive us when we complicate things. Forgive us when we 
try to improve upon this beautiful natural relationship we have with you. It's just you love us and we love you. And, and you demonstrated your love for us at the cross. And now we show that love back to you by surrendering our lives to you, by consecrating like we talked about tonight and sanctifying, setting ourselves apart just to, to be exclusively yours. Very simple. So Lord, help us to walk in this simplicity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys.